Earlier this year, the WannaCry ransomware attack took control of computers in 40 of the UK's NHS trusts, blocking access to the data held on them. This wasn't the first time that NHS computers had been infected by malware, but it brought the danger of cyber attack into the consciousness of patients and doctors. I'm Duncan Jarvis, and this week I went to Imperial College London to talk to two people who've been thinking hard about cybersecurity. James Kinross, a surgeon and lecturer here, and Chris Hankin, who's director of Imperial's Institute for Security Science and Technology. I started by asking James why a surgeon got interested in IT. A few months ago with one of the co-authors, Guy Martin, who must take quite a lot of credit for this in fact, and we were doing a clinic at around the time that we'd had a new electronic healthcare record introduced to the trust where we work, which is Imperial College NHS Trust, and we independently began to think about the potential consequences of that and maybe frailties in the system, and as you chat loosely after a patient clinic, we started to wonder what the implications might be if actually there were problems with uh, its security. Uh, one of the delights of working in an institution like this is, of course, just across the road, there just happens to be a world expert uh, on this sort of thing. So uh, we then came over to have a chat with Chris and his team. And we said, look, we've been thinking about this because obviously we went to look at the literature and we found a to be frank, a startling lack of literature. Uh, and we uh, started to speak to some of our own um, IT professionals in the NHS Trust. And quickly after speaking to Chris, it became clear that there was a significant common ground and there was obviously uh, a, quite, a, quite an impressive unmet need. Um, after an initial meeting, we then decided uh, that um, it would be quite a good idea to run a security workshop and to bring together leaders in the field uh, to talk about this and to try and identify what some of the key problems are. And um, I work uh, in the Division of, uh, of Surgery, the Department of Surgery and Cancer here, and we have also close links with... Um, the Institute for Global Health Innovation, and we're, we're luckily able to ask some, some key players to come. So we had a very successful workshop, and after that, I became really worried. <laughs> I was only a little bit worried before, then I became really worried. Uh, and then from that, uh, the article was born. Yeah, and the recent attack that you know crippled some systems in the NHS, did you, were you personally affected by that? Were your patients affected? Um, so... We were affected, but the reason we were affected was because um, of an interesting symptom of the problem, which is that our hospital shut down many of its systems as a defence against a potential attack. So we didn't actually, we were not, you know, um, directly uh, affected, but we were indirectly affected. Uh, and then, of course, other hospitals around us were affected. So the Royal London was affected. We're a major trauma centre. So I certainly had to operate on patients that day that were transferred from the Royal London because they were unable... Or I think for the first time in their history, they shut their doors to major trauma. Yeah. So, yeah, I was affected, but I was affected because the NHS does not have resilience it's not able to cope with these it doesn't ha it, these attacks it doesn't have a method for dealing with it so yes i was directly mm. now chris i kind of want to go back to the beginning and when we were talking to you about this and saying we had the WannaCry attack um against the nhs but this is one of several things that have happened over um the past year past few years that really sort of brought this into to relief um but I suppose my first question is, 
who's actually developing this malware? What's, you know, what's going on? What's the kind of cultural thing that is starting to, to make this happen? Well, maybe, maybe I could just correct something that you said a few moments ago before I answer that question, which is that uh, I think it's important to recognise that WannaCry wasn't uh, targeting the NHS. Uh, it was basically uh, a piece of malware or ransomware uh, that attacked any system which was vulnerable to it. So if you look across the world, um, many different companies and organisations were affected by it. Um, it just so happens that in the UK, uh, the NHS was probably the most affected by that particular uh, piece of ransomware. Um, the teams uh, that, that are developing it, uh, the motivations are, are many and varied. Uh, it would seem that with WannaCry, um, there's fairly uh, clear indications now that that was a group uh, developed by a group called the Lazarus Group, which is based in uh, North Korea. Um, but uh, motivations for these sorts of attacks might be anything from uh, the so-called script kiddies who are just sort of exploring vulnerabilities in systems for the fun of it through organised crime to, uh, to state actors. And, and I guess the implication is that the Lazarus group may well have backing from the uh, North Korean government and are generally trying to create mischief, as it were. Uh, but... Um, we shouldn't run away with the idea that uh, ransomware is the only, the only um, mode of attack that uh, the NHS and other organisations are vulnerable to. It's uh, still the case that uh, general sort of malware and um, phishing attacks and so on to steal uh, data are just as prevalent as ransomware attacks. Mm. Um, now, as you correct me there, obviously this wasn't, um, WannaCry wasn't targeted at the NHS or at health systems generally, but obviously there is a, a great deal of data and, and potentially useful information um, contained within healthcare IT systems. Um, have we seen attacks that have been targeted directly at that sort of um, healthcare World. Yes, so I think in, in the UK we've seen previously much more targeted attacks on um, sort of hospitals in the regions which have been ransomware-based attacks. And certainly in our article in the, the BMJ, uh, we mention a couple of uh, incidents of um, attacks on hospitals in the US, mm. one of which was a denial-of-service attack and the other was about actually stealing data. I think we also make the observation in the article that, that uh, healthcare data is actually generally more, va uh, more valuable than the more sort of transient um, data like banking details and so on, which can be fixed. You can't, uh, you can't change your health record overnight, but you can change your bank account details. Mm -hmm. so, um, so on the dark web and so on, um, healthcare data is, is, is uh, much more valuable than that other sort of data. And I wanted to ask, why is that? I mean, you can understand that, I don't know, insurance companies might want to have someone's healthcare data because that might affect how much they could charge and things. But how, what would, you know, individuals who want to buy that data, what could the, the, the motivation of that be? Well, uh, J James may have some comments on that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think, so, so there, are, there are many reasons. Um, some of the reasons are that, as Chris says, you can't change your health data and um, you can use it to blackmail. You can 
use it to help decode passwords and to get access to other sources of more valuable information, such as financial data. Um, but I, I also think it's worth um, worth just exploring Chris's answer to the previous question, which is that actually some of these attacks on hospitals are to either compromise the integrity of health data and uh, and to hold it to ransom in a much more um, frightening way. Mm -hmm. So if you look at the attack that happened in Los Angeles, the hospital could not function because the, basically the, the, the hackers closed down their entire electronic healthcare record. You can't deliver care in that instance. Um, if you corrupt the integrity of health data, if you imagine you're a hospital and suddenly all your chemical pathology is corrupted, you can't, you can't treat people safely. So I think this data has value on the, on the, uh, on the dark web directly as a kind of, uh, as if you like, a, a raw data form, but equally by compromising uh, the integrity of data or an institution's access to data, you also basically create a, a, a way through which you can generate revenue by blackmailing or ransoming. Mm. And you're nodding there, Chris. Do you think that is the way that um, healthcare systems will be targeted or the reason in the future? Yeah, yes, I think def definitely so. I mean, that, that clearly would be the motivation for organised criminal gangs for example, uh, if if you're if we go back to WannaCry, if there is a state uh, actor behind that, then state actors would have a different motivation, and it's about uh, sort of disrupting the basic social fabric of the country. Uh, but uh, but I just wanted to re-emphasise that WannaCry, although it came from apparently the Lazarus Group, it wasn't uh, specifically targeted. So I think we shouldn't go too far down that route of uh, destroying the social fabric. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Sure. Um, now, if we talk about um, WannaCry as, a, as an example here, um, it, uh, as James has mentioned, affected some systems within the NHS, didn't affect others. There are some bits that uh, maybe would be easy to fix, other places where you know things are, are really hard to, to patch in updates to, to be able to protect against that. Um, I just wondered if you could sort of give us a, a snapshot of, of what's going on with NHS IT systems um, for people outside uh, the UK so they can understand the sort of network or lack of network that's going on? Um, that's a, that's a, a very good question. Um, the NHS has a, a central digital spine through which it shares information, uh, which is currently being up, updated. But I think probably the more interesting question is, is what's happening locally in each hospital? Who is responsible for it? What resource they have to manage it? Uh, and at the same time, what is being determined nationally at a national level. So if you look back at the WannaCry attack, one of the major problems is that, of course, the NHS decided that it didn't want to pay for the ongoing support of Windows XP, uh, and therefore it didn't patch itself, therefore we weren't supported. But if you look at then what happened locally, um, most, most hospitals simply don't have an operating budget to be able to buy uh, the personnel or the expertise they need in locally, let alone the operating budget that they need to ensure their software is up to date or that they are running the most appropriate system. 
So to give you to sort of give you an idea or to put it into context, our trust has to find ten percent saving this year on its you know on its IT operating budget. We spend somewhere around the region of I think one point three to one point five percent of our operating budget on our IT. Um, infrastructure. If you're in a bank or you work in a big business that has the same billion pound, you know, um, um, budget that we have as a trust, you spend probably somewhere between five to ten percent of that. Um, we have, I think, the statistic was we have one person managing something like seventeen hundred SQL databases. We have one person employed at the end of last year looking at security. We roughly have one person doing support for every thousand machines that break down. There is no fundamental infrastructure. There is no fundamental governance structure above that, and there's very limited national uh, support to help to help inform trust what they do. Um, and one of the most troubling things about the whole WannaCry retract was that no one really wanted to take responsibility for it. Um, and that demonstrated to us quite a significant governance problem. And I think that's probably one of the bigger challenges that we, that we face. Mm. I mean, just to pick up on that word governance, you, you know, if that was a clinical situation, that would be absolutely untenable and people would have cried out and said how could one person be looking at outcomes or safety or, or whatever it was why are we in that situation with the NHS that that there just was no overview so I think the point that we make in this paper is that it is a clinical situation right the reason that there should have been more outrage is that you know this directly affected patient care nationally on a massive scale that was unprecedented uh, and also, it's absolutely going to happen again in the future. Okay, so um, to go back to your initial question, how you, I, well, I, we were discussing briefly before, you know, how do you secure a system in the completely and future-proof it? Well, well, you can't. But what you can do is put in uh, infrastructure to make it more resilient and able to cope with events when it, when, when it inevitably happens. Um, so it was a clinical situation. and. You know, there needs to be a, a chain of command or at least a governance structure for, 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 for dealing with that. Why isn't there a governance structure? Well, um, I think, frankly, cybersecurity has just been an afterthought. Uh, I think if you go back through the history of NHS IT um, transformation, uh, it's checkered with controversy, a massive wastage of money, um, it's been a sort of political hot potato. We had the failure of, you know, uh, care uh, data. And, and at the end of all of that comes cybersecurity. It's just an afterthought. And now what we've had is, I think some people have called it a wake-up call. I'm not sure if I quite agree with that. But effectively, we've had a massive event which should just shake people awake and say, well, hang on a minute now. We need to put this at the front of the... Uh, of the uh, IT uh, agenda in the NHS. Mm. And um, as Bruce Keogh wrote in an editorial, he thinks that there is a sort of a role for that and the need for um, like a clinical information officer to, to maybe tie that into to the same system. Do you think that's um, so, I mean, I think just to be fair, so before I completely slate everybody, I mean, there are attempts to try and change things, right? So NHS Digital has a concerted plan now, at least. And, um, you know, the um, National Cybersecurity Centre has health on its agenda and people are looking at trying to create solutions. Um, 
Do I think a chief clinical information officer is a good idea? Absolutely. Um, do I think it's going to solve our immediate problems? Absolutely not. Because our, our problems are massive uh, and quite a lot of them are based, they're organisational challenges, they're behavioural challenges, they are, um, they are governance issues. Uh, and I think maybe that's probably one of people's most common sort of misconceptions about cybersecurity. This is not about not opening emails or about you know getting a, a check on your on USB key. It's about creating a, an infrastructure which creates a resilient organization and is the capacity to not just to, to protect and defend itself but also to deal with an event when it when it occurs. Mm. Um, Chris James mentioned there that you know banks spend a considerable part of their operational budget on um, on infrastructure, on cybersecurity, things like that, um, especially when compared to the NHS. How and I, you've said elsewhere that you know you think banks are paragons or you know maybe paragons or paradigm uh, yeah, yeah, best practice. Yes, exactly. Uh, um, did banks have a, a wake-up call like this? How did they get to the place where they realised that this was important to do? Well, I think, I, I think uh, banks have always um, been concerned about, uh, about fraud and, uh, and, uh, and, and um, criminal activity with respect to bank accounts and so on. And, and cyber has just uh, acted as a kind of amplifier for that, for that activity. Uh, so the banks have really been um, sort of uh, leading um, a, a lot of the the work that's been done around protecting systems uh, uh, they have a very good uh, arrangement for information sharing across banks um, I still think that uh, within the NHS uh, a lot of the the systems are procured locally and there probably isn't too much dialogue between the different components of the NHS around uh, threats that are being seen and so on so um, so the banks are uh, very good at information sharing. Um, they're very reliant on IT. I, th I think the, the key component of the NHS in the end is the patients. Uh, IT is, uh, is helping care for the patients, but uh, banking these days essentially is an IT sort of business, so it's much more central to, 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 their, um, to their enterprise. Mm -hmm. um, they have uh, various frameworks for assessing systems and understanding the threat and do and, um, conducting penetration tests of their systems. So the CBEST framework is probably um, a good exemplar of, uh, of a framework for um, understanding the threats that your systems face. Um, so, so the banks have lots of uh, lots of these kinds of um, things in place, but I think it is because they're essentially an IT business. Um, whereas, um, as I said earlier, the NHS quite rightly puts the patients first, but increasingly going forward, the care of patients, as we've suggested in our uh, um, editorial and indeed in the article that's followed that up, um, the safety of those patients is going to rely on having secure. IT to support it. So the NHS has to become more sensitive to these issues. Just, yeah, just on that point as well, I just want to make um, the observation that um, banks adopted digital technologies very, very quickly because there was a commercial gain. Healthcare institutions adapted it very, adopted it very, very late, right? Uh, and they, are, they use their data differently, they've got a different set of challenges. 
Um, and the second thing is, is that um, we absolutely need to be digital, right? The, 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 the reflex from this should not be, oh, we should go back to paper. That would be a disaster, mm -hmm. okay? So it's about how we make um, organizations function with cybersecurity rather than using cybersecurity as a barrier to prevent doctors and nurses or patients actually adequately accessing uh, data uh, effectively. And then the third thing is, is that I think you need to acknowledge, or we need to acknowledge really as an industry, as a profession, that um, we prepare for major incidents, right? So we have a major incident rehearsal for something terrible happening in London. And things in London, unfortunately, and nationally, and in fact globally, seem to be happening more terribly at the moment. And the reason that patients do well is because we practice for it. Right? But we don't practice for major cybersecurity events. We just panic when it happens and we do what happened to my hospital, which is just shut everything down. So we have to look at this differently. We have to look at what the financial services industry do and they prepare for it. They practice and they prepare and they understand through that process of learning where their weaknesses and their frailties are and they continually adapt and change. And we need something similar in healthcare, I think. Mm. And yes, obviously, Chris, you were speaking there and talking about a sort of proactive as opposed to a reactive um, culture within banks. But you also mentioned the fact that they are very networked, that things are very joined up, which presumably allows um, one fix to, to, to propagate out in, in a way that would be useful. The NHS isn't like that. Um, the spine has been worked on, but there, there seems to be a... I don't know, reticence, uh, um, a pushback uh, amongst clinical staff. The BMA, you know, came out and said we don't want centralised medical records. Um, and yet, it would. It seems that you think that that networking and and that centralisation might actually be useful for for cyber security. Well, uh, I, I think the banks don't don't have centralised records either. I mean, they, they see their uh, their their own individual customer sort of databases, as it were, as as, as part of their um, part of their value proposition. So they're not actually sharing that information, but what they are sharing is is threat information. They're taking the view that uh, you know if if uh, Bank A is under attack tomorrow, then Bank B, uh, sorry today, then Bank. B is likely to see the same attack tomorrow, so um, it's in everyone's interest to uh, to share information because next week Bank B will be the one under attack, and it will be Bank A that's waiting for the thing to happen. So, uh, so they've really developed quite a sophisticated and mature way of actually uh, sharing information about the threat and about, uh, to a certain extent, the actions they're taking to mitigate against the threats. Uh, they're not actually sharing their customer no, databases. So, yeah. so I think the patient record issue is, 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 um, is a slightly different thing. And I think some of the reaction against centralised patient records is probably um, uh, based on, on fears around security and privacy. Uh, but probably also scepticism about uh, uh, the NHS or indeed any government agency's ability to deliver that kind of large-scale IT system on time and to cost, really. We've seen so many failures uh, in delivery of these large IT systems that I think some of the resistance is coming from that. Yeah, I think yeah. some of it's also coming from this misplaced belief that cybersecurity is about data protection. I mean, 
data protection is an important component of it, but it's it's much more than data protection. It's about building in resilience, right? And um, um, we need to we need to I think move the discussion and the debate on a little bit from that. You know, we th- people are worried that someone's going to come in and steal their data. It could be much worse than that, right? And um, we need to have a more open conversation about that. I think. And pre- presumably, banks work internationally. They work globally to to do this, and and yet the NHS, you know, doesn't even work within itself to to share this information. So, do you think? Um, it's going to be that, that health systems need to talk to each other, not necessarily directly, electronically, but you know, the systems need to, to learn from each other about what's going on. So the UK could learn from what's going on at the Mayo Clinic in the States or you know, from, from what Canada or, or South Korea is doing. I think that kind of international sharing probably isn't even ha- happening in the banking sector. Uh, um, the information sharing I spoke about is is mainly uh, based in the Square Mile, the City of London, basically. But uh, but uh, yes, I, I'm a great supporter of uh, as much information sharing as possible in this context. Um, and uh, the um, the sort of uh, trend for regulation in the European Union at the moment, with things like the Network Information Security Directive, is that for certain critical services which I'm not sure includes healthcare at the moment, but uh, there will be a requirement at the European level at least to share more information about threats and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and CARES are part of you know, um, the response to this. Part of their remit is to try and um, collate these threats and to share these threats across the trust. So I think, uh, again, to give credit where it's due, I think, I think there is a... Uh, an attempt to try and ach- achieve that. The question is, is whether or not um, that's happening as effectively as it, as it could be, uh, and and also whether or not um, these uh, pieces of information are, are actually going and being used effectively. So I just think that some ET- IT departments in hospitals just don't have the resource to action those threats, even if they wanted to. There's just no hands on deck to, to do it. Mm-hmm. And um, I suppose this brings me to my last question, which is really, um, I mean, Chris, you're here at the Institute for uh, Security Science and Technology. You know, this is what you study. Um, is this like an arms race between the people producing these things and, and then the, the banks or whomever else? Um, preventing them affecting their systems in a catastrophic way. Uh, and and really, I mean, I think the picture of James has painted is of yeah. the NHS maybe just getting up to to be able to prevent WannaCry happening again, but that doesn't protect us for the future. No, I mean, it, it, is, um, it, it is a very asymmetric uh, situation because uh, basically... Um, we, we often, at the moment, don't know that there are vulnerabilities in the system until someone tries to exploit them. And uh, that means someone has to be the unlucky person who's the subject of that first exploitation. So so-called zero-day vulnerabilities, which feature a lot in some of the more sophisticated attacks, are things which are vulnerabilities in systems that no one yet knows about. So it's very difficult to actually protect against this. 
um, one form of protection is, is to have lots of diversity in your systems so that uh, you don't lose the whole system when it, when it is attacked. Um, and the NHS certainly has lots of <laughs> diversity. The problem is that uh, some of those diverse systems, as we saw with WannaCry, were legacy systems which hadn't been patched and therefore were highly vulnerable to that particular piece of, uh, piece of malware. I think just the other thing that um, I just wanted to say is that I think some hospitals and some healthcare organisations are aware of this, um, but we also have regulation coming into force. So the General Data Protection Regulation, GDPR, is coming in in May 2018 and hospitals will be obliged to report data breaches and will be subject to up to 4% of their um, total uh, revenue if they're found to be um, uh, in breach of those guidelines. Now, for, for NHS Trust, that could be catastrophic. You could be talking about £20 million worth of fine. Um, but although we've got the regulation coming in, quite a lot of trusts are still lacking guidance and support to help them meet that regulation um, and still don't quite know what they've got to do to achieve it and to meet um, the, the criteria. Uh, so I think you've got regulatory pressure uh, to do it. I think you've got some sort of um, support at a national level through people like CareCert to try and help uh, promote cyber security. But there's still a very significant lack of resource, a very significant lack of governance and a very significant lack of you know, financial support to try and make that a, a reality. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens in May 2018. And I think James raises, raises a very important point there because GDPR not only requires you to uh, protect patient data and, and there are heavy fines if you, if you fail to do so, but you also actually have to be um, able to demonstrate that, you're, um, that you have the right uh, practices in place and so on to protect that data. You have to be accountable for it and, uh, and that's where the big challenge for the NHS is, I think, because of the resource issues that, uh, um, that uh, James has mentioned. And, uh, part of that accountability is showing that you've got good cybersecurity defences in place. Mm. Big think, challenges. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then you just think against the background yes. of cuts to IT budgets. I mean, cybersecurity must be an expensive thing for banks to do. And if the NHS now has to suddenly try and employ a load of people to get this up, I mean, that's going to be difficult, yes. isn't it? Yeah, I think it is. This was a point that came out in our workshop, actually. But Basically, uh, we, we talked a bit about cyber hygiene and so on, and, and uh, a comment was made that uh, you could have that, but if you were to have that, you would have to lay off staff from other areas in order to be able to afford to, to yeah. have that. Uh, I'd like to make one other kind of key, sure. key point, though. Um, someone quite high up in the world of cybersecurity um, said when we had our meeting, you know, health is a bit of an adventure at the moment. And by that, what they meant was, is that we don't really know um, at a granular level, actually, what the state of cybersecurity is within the NHS. Or a lot of the information we quote in that paper that we've written is either from FOI requests or it's from press reports. It's not actually from hard data sources. And we also don't really know what the true impact is about you know, big, large-scale attacks like WannaCry. I can tell you my personal account. I can tell you anecdotally what was being reported in the newspaper. Um, but 
there is an unmet need for uh, fundamental work, fundamental research uh, to go out there and actually try and understand exactly where the, where the problems are. And that work, I don't think, has been, has been performed yet. Uh, and certainly, you know, I, I publish a lot, I write a lot. Uh, I was quite startled by the lack of information out there. All of the papers that have been written are largely review pieces. There's no one actually that's doing the, you know, the bread and butter, the bread and butter work. So I think, yeah, there's there's a, there's a, there's um, pressure on the NHS to deliver, but I think there's also pressure on us as clinicians to go and ask the question, uh, and on the academic community to get out there to do the fundamental groundwork to say, well, okay, what are we going to do? Because one of the questions we kept getting asked, and we got asked by the editors, and we get asked by everybody, is, okay, so there's a problem, so what are we going to, how do we fix this, right? And we can give you top-level answers to that, but to give you something really meaningful, we need, we need more information, and I think until we have that, it's going to be difficult, but we need that information quickly, you know, because the, 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 these events will undoubtedly keep happening. I don't want to depress you, by the way. <laughs> like, we're going to be okay. Like, the world will not end, but, you know. Yeah, it's a, I mean, it's a scary picture. You can just imagine, in some way, like London, yeah. it's a network, and you've, you, you know, we plan so much for, for terrorism yeah. and things, and like you said, mm. and we just don't. And if suddenly three hospitals in London stopped admitting people for trauma. I mean, what yeah. would... But, you know, what happens if you're... You know, what happens to your family doctor, your GP, you know, and they can't function as well? And, you know, we're thinking about hospitals, but, of course, the NHS is, I don't know how many different, 40,000 different, you know, individual mm. units mm. working together. Mm. Uh, if primary care fails, if social care fails, the consequences may be even more significant. Um, and, again... I don't know what's happening out there. Somebody else maybe listening to this does and they can write in and tell us. Mm. I'm interested to hear, but um, I think uh, the problem is, is larger than that. Well, that's been a depressing chat <laughs> to the, both of you. Um, is it all doom and gloom? Well, I, I think the messages we've conveyed during this interview probably are a bit doom and gloom, and I think uh, it's important to move beyond that and see cybersecurity uh, as an enabler rather than uh, uh, a preventer of practices that uh, people are already engaged in. And uh, that probably comes down to uh, work that's being promoted through the National Cyber Security Strategy at the moment, which is going under the designation Secure by Default, which is meant to permeate all the way through from the initial sort of design of systems through to the way that they're used. And uh, I guess our challenge is to make security something that's uh, sort of transparent to, uh, to most of the users, but nevertheless uh, ensures um, the safety and so on of patients and and and, uh, and other users of the computer systems. Mm. And I mean, the NHS has shown it can do culture change, hand washing, yeah. you know, simple things exactly like that right. that come in. Exactly right, and it's about distilling it down to a, a manageable message uh, and demonstrating its impact. So if you can show people that by changing behaviour you can really have impact, people will hopefully be more likely to change their behaviour. But, um, you know, the, the NHS, despite everything I've said, it remains, you know, a resilient institu institution in terms of its people and its workforce. And yes, WannaCry happened, but we continued, we cared for our patients. We, you know, most, I suspect, at the time we delivered safe, good quality care. Uh, and I think there's also a willingness to learn from that event and to... 
uh, create new strategies to deal with it. And I think they're now actually for the first time, probably there's a real sense of urgency about what we need to do. So, I mean, that was why we wrote the article. Actually, we wrote the article before WannaCry happened, but um, which was unfortunate because then um, life imitated academia. But, um, you know, I think there is now a, a willingness to, to change, which I hope we can now take advantage of. James, Chris, thank you very much. My for pleasure. Talking to My us. pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. My pleasure too. You've been listening to James Kinross and Chris Hankin talk about cybersecurity. The article that they referred to is Cybersecurity and Healthcare, How Safe Are We? which is now available on bmj.com. Links in the podcast text. If you enjoyed this, please rate and review us. It lets us know what you like and it helps other people to find us. If you haven't already, then subscribe to us. You can do that on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. We're in most places now. You can also find our full back catalogue on SoundCloud. That's years and years of content, all for free. Just search for BMJ Talk Medicine. That's all for this podcast. I'm Duncan Jarvis, and I'll be back next time finding out if all the new biomarkers and tests for disease are worth the hype. Join me then.